0: R.C. Sproul said, most Christians salute the sovereignty of God, but believe in the sovereignty of man. While this may be true of Christians in general, it's certainly true of many parents. Parents welcome children into their lives, but do so with expectations and agendas. But what if God's plans differ from yours? Who ultimately determines the agenda of your child's life? Listen in as Kent, Nathan, and Vicky look at God's sovereign role in the lives of our children, through the eyes of Isaac and Rebecca. Welcome to Crosstalk, a Christian podcast whose goal is for us to encourage each other to not only increase our knowledge of the Bible, but to take the next step beyond information into transformation. Our goal is to bring the Bible to life, into all our lives. I'm Brian French. Today, Dr. Kent Edwards, Vicki Hitzkiss and Nathan Norman continue their discussion through the book of Genesis, and if you have a Bible handy, turn to Genesis chapter twenty-five, verses nineteen to thirty-four, as we join their discussion.
1: Nathan, Vicky, is the name Amy Chua familiar to you at all? Uh, yeah, not, she was the so she was the Tiger Mom, right? Right. She wrote that book, Tiger Mom. Do you do you remember that book? I, I didn't
2: read it. I just read all of the pejorative things that were online about it. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, I saw her being interviewed. I didn't read the book either. (laughs) But she was a uh, law school professor, still is. But she coined that term to describe her strict parenting style of her daughter. It's very common throughout Asia, but she was popularizing it here. Like many contemporary Asians, Amy saw success in education as a necessity for the better life. She drove her child to succeed, to get the best grades, get into the best schools, to enjoy the best life. I mean, this is really aggressive parenting, because she knew where she wanted her daughter to go. Have you ever met people, maybe not as extreme as Amy, but uh, who have been pretty clear of the direction they wanted the child's life to take?
2: I remember when I was a youth pastor, there was a, a group of kids, we just couldn't get involved in the youth group or in church really, even though they kind of sort of came to church and everything. So I remember I talked with one parent about, Hey, you know, kid, you know, it'd be great to get her, uh, you know, to come on over to, to youth group. And he <laughs> looked at me and said, I have a plan for my daughter's life. And he listed off all the <laughs> things that he wanted her to do. And she's going to be a lawyer and she's going to do this and going to youth group is not a part of that plan. <laughs> Oh, oh, wow. (laughs) Just stunned. Well, what about God and what Jesus? Well, we'll go Sunday and that's it. You're not getting any more.
1: (laughs) Wow.
3: I heard a story last night. A coach of a little league game stopped the game and walked out onto the field and took an eight-year-old and put his arm around him. And he said, do you understand that I am the coach and you are not? Do you understand that if you do not get to play, you do not throw a temper tantrum. Do you understand that I make the decisions and not you? Do you understand that if you are not happy, you are not allowed to cuss at me? The little boy said, yes, sir, yes, sir. And he said, then go into the stands and explain that to your grandmother.
1: (laughs) <laughs> so I think that sometimes it's good to be directive. Is that what I hear you say? <laughs> uh, as parents, obviously, most of us will have goals and uh, objectives we'd love to see our kids uh, accomplish. Maybe it's joining the family business or going to college, getting a sports scholarship, or to follow Christ. And of course, we have influence over our children. I mean, we saw an an example of that last week as we looked at Abraham and Ishmael. I know it was negative. He gave a bad example and had a bad result of hostility forever. But, But you and I know there are positive examples, and we touched on that a bit last week. But most parents, I don't think, even Christian parents, I don't think they recognize the limitations of their influence. Yeah, as parents, we play a factor, but we're not the only factor in the lives of our children. Maybe one of the best known verses on child rearing in the Bible is Proverbs 22 and six train up a child in the way he should go. And when he's old, he will not depart from it. (laughs) It's a proverb. It's a general truth in life. If we build into our children, they are likely to follow in that example. But it's not the only thing God says about child rearing. And it certainly doesn't guarantee that our son or daughter is going to follow the Lord. No, there's other factors at play, right? What are some of the other factors that will determine oh, peer, whether our child follows the Lord?
3: Peer, peer pressure, television. Radio, movies, has lots of other influences, unfortunately.
2: Yeah, the culture they live in, the kid themselves, they can say, yeah, forget this. I don't want to do any of this.
3: Right. They
1: may not choose. The Bible is constantly telling us to choose the Lord, right? Right. I mean, I think of Joshua, you know, as he stands before the whole nation, recounting all of God's goodness to them in the years past and says, choose today whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We're constantly asked to choose. And if our child has a will, and they do, (laughs) they may choose not to follow the Lord. But God also has a say. The fact is that we need God's Holy Spirit to draw us to himself. In and of ourselves and our natural selves, we are sinners. We're apart from God. We're enemies with God. And what if God doesn't draw them? God is a factor. You can certainly see that in the way that God answered Jacob's prayer for a child. In Genesis chapter 25, the story begins. Uh, In fact, Nathan, would you mind reading that for us, the first couple of verses of that section? Sure. It says, Abraham became the father
2: of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. The Lord answered his prayer, and his wife, Rebecca, became pregnant.
1: So they were struggling with infertility. It's not uncommon. It's much more common in society today than you realize. I I read recently that one in eight couples have difficulty conceiving. It is Hmm. uh, not uncommon at all. So he prays. But turns out that God had his own plans for this pregnancy, that I don't think they were Isaacs. Vicki, would you mind reading that for us?
3: Sure. It says, the Lord said to Rebecca... Two nations are in your womb. How interesting. Two nations are in your womb, Mm. and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment, so they named him Esau. (laughs) After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel, so he was named Jacob. Huh.
1: Nothing about this birth met Isaac and Rebecca's expectations. I think Isaac was asking for a kid, he ended up getting two. And I don't think he was asking for two radically different children, right? But they they were from from birth. Nathan, Vicky, you have siblings. Are you very similar to your siblings?
3: Oh, not at all, <laughs> at all. My father, my father used to say he was so thankful that he had two children because if he had only had my younger brother he would wonder what people were talking about when they said children were difficult. Oh, <laughs> wow.
2: <A> backhanded insult.
3: wasn't <laughs> even backhanded.
2: <laughs> oh, yeah, no, I'm not, uh, well, uh, I've got two brothers, one older, one younger. I'm stuck in the middle. Yes, I am Jan Brady. And my, uh, my younger brother, we're, we're fairly similar uh, in looks and uh, he's taller than me and he's an engineer. So his, his brain works a little bit differently than mine, but, uh, and he also makes more money than me anyway. But, uh, but we're, you know, we're, we're similar enough. (laughs) That doesn't bother you, I know. Uh, But I'm more outgoing. He isn't. And my older brother, I mean, him and I were just like oil and water, the same parents, but he's uh, he's shorter than me. He's got uh, curly blonde hair. I've got brown hair. For the listener at home who can't see me, yeah, we're just we're just so so radically different. My older brother and I, uh, it's it's unreal. And he he's very strong will, I tend to be compliant. Yeah, it's uh, we're very different people.
1: Well, and for these boys, the differences didn't end at birth. They continue to diverge. In fact, in verses 27 and 28 of Genesis 25, it makes that clear. The boys grew up, and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. Isaac had a taste for wild game. He loved Esau, but Rebecca loved Jacob. (laughs) When I read those verses, I can't help but think of my own boys. Our firstborn, we have two boys. Our firstborn, Nathan, uh, he's athletic. He loved to play hockey. He was good at it. He's a former Marine. He um, loves woodworking, boating, being on the water, hunting. I mean, that's, that's, I mean, he's, and did I mention he looks just like me? That may or may not be an advantage, but he does. Uh, (laughs) Our youngest son, Jonathan, he's got off the chart emotional intelligence. But we gave our boys a chance to choose did they want to outside of school? get into music or uh, athletics, he chose music instantly. He's far more interested in stuff like computers, playing story-based games with his friends, and Pokemon Go, which I don't even know what that is, but apparently he's like a master at it. So why are my boys so different? They came from the same house, the same mother and father, the same environment. What makes them so different? Nature, nurture, Yeah, nature, nurture. No, I think think God made them differently. Mm -hmm. I think there's things that we cannot control. I think God specifically made them for the purposes he wanted them to accomplish. And I think that affects all of our children, not only in what their interest in sports or food or any of those other things, but I think it affects them spiritually. I mean, did these boys... Look at what it says in verses 29 through 32.
3: I like this story. Can I read it? Once when Jacob, that was a younger one, when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country and he was famished. And he said to Jacob, quit, let me have some of that red stew. I am famished. And Jacob replied, first, sell me your birthright. He was a smart one. Look, I'm about to die. Esau said, what good is a birthright to me? So he sold his birthright to Jacob. Esau despised his birthright. Oh, that birthright. Not the smart one. Yeah.
1: That has to do with one's position and inheritance. The more uh, more contact I have with Eastern cultures, the more I recognize the significance of that. The firstborn becomes the patriarch of the family. They're in control, they they are the leaders, they are the financial managers of the household, they are the judicial authority. And so following the line of Abraham, he was going to be the leader of the people of God and he's traded it in for a bowl of red (laughs) soup.
2: I mean, we don't know how good it was.
1: Why are these boys so different spiritually? I mean, Jacob wanted it, obviously, and Esau despised it, saw it as useless. What was the difference between these two? Well, the Apostle Paul tells us that, interestingly enough, in Romans chapter 9. Nathan, you're you're the scholar. Help us understand Romans 9, what Paul is saying in those verses.
2: Yeah, I don't resemble that remark, but I'll still read it. (laughs) Barely literate over here. Uh, Rebecca's children were conceived at the same time by our father, Isaac. Yet before the twins were born or had done anything good or bad in order that God's purpose in election might stand, not by works, but by him who calls, she was told the older will serve the younger, just as it is written, Jacob, I loved, but Esau, I hated.
1: God's sovereign will made the difference before they did anything good or bad. That's what Paul says in order that God's purposes might stand. Jacob, I loved. Esau, I hated. I choose to reject the older and choose the younger.
3: What's our immediate objection? That's not fair. Of course. That God would hate one and love the other. Before they did anything. Mm -hmm.
1: What? That's unfair. What gives God the right to make a decision like that before they ever had a chance to, to do anything? Well... What does Paul answer? Nathan? What then shall we say? Is God unjust?
2: Not at all. For he said to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. It does not therefore depend on human desire or effort. God has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy, and he hardens whom he wants to harden. Who are you, a human being, to talk back to God? Does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for special purposes,
1: and some for common use. The fact is that God is sovereign. He is in control of everything. As Job said of God, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Jesus points this out as well. When he says in Matthew chapter 10, are not two sparrows sold for penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. God is in control of everything. And as he directs the course of world history forward to the conclusion he has designed for it to have, he also controls the lives of all the people as they make the way towards that destination. History is his story. And the story of our children's lives are also part of his story. And God is saying, I have the right to choose. Even if you don't understand why, you must trust me because I know more than you. That's, that's a hard thing for us to grasp as parents, isn't it?
2: Yeah, absolutely.
3: Yes.
1: When it comes to parenting, what Brian said at the beginning, I think was right. That quote by R.C. Sproul that most Christians salute the sovereignty of God, but believe in the sovereignty of man. I think that's true for us, many of us as parents. What we want, what we want for our children. And most of us are tiger parents, especially for the spiritual lives of our children. We want to bend our children into the people we want them to be. But while as parents, we do have significant influence on our children, God is sovereign and we are not. God will use us as he wills and he will use them as he wills. I guess the real question is as parents, are we willing to trust God with our children? Even if one is Esau and the other is Jacob. Do we believe that our heavenly father loves our children? And that his will is better than ours, even if we don't understand it. So what can we do? Again, in this podcast, we want to bring God's words to life, the life of our listeners, of our own lives. So what do we do if we have a child that is heading in what we see as a dangerous and destructive direction? One of the things I think we can do is to pray.
2: Yeah, you think of um, you think of like Saint Augustine, and if if you read his confessions, I mean, he like he did everything under the sun. Mm-hmm. Uh, he just sinned and sinned and sinned. And his uh, mother Monica was a believer, and she prayed. And reflecting back on his life, he said, "I'm paraphrasing here," but he said there was no way that after that much prayer. From my mother that i wouldn't have been able to become a christian
3: <laughs> <laughs> that's a good prayer that's good to hear <laughs> and, and and
2: as the lord was getting a hold of him he'd pray prayers like lord grant me celibacy just not today because um, <laughs> uh, he he could continually see that god was working in him as his mother was on her hands and knees praying for his salvation and his for, for his transformation in christ jesus hmm and 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 really if i think if augustine didn't go through that period of abject complete disgusting despicable sin which would have him thrown out of most of our churches um probably rightfully so he uh he would not have been the thinker that he turned out to be mm. uh he wouldn't have realized his abject depravity apart from christ he would he he would have thought mm-hmm. like uh like some of his contemporaries like well you know my sin issue is more of a educational problem. Just, uh, just, just you know, tell me what I'm doing is wrong, and then I'll stop doing it. No, he struggled with sin, and he knew he lacked the power to stand up against sin. Yeah, and uh, and he ne- needed the uh, the blood of Jesus Christ to
1: cleanse him. Yeah. So what we see in our children may not be indication of their destination, right? Because they're heading in a direction doesn't mean they're going to end up there.
2: Well, you look at Esau too, right? Like at the 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 last we see him in Genesis, he was actually a pretty good brother. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He he was a stand-up guy.
1: One of the things that has impressed me a lot in my life is the extent that my mother-in-law prayed. My wife's mother, she was a wonderful godly woman and she prayed and she prayed and she prayed for her children. She prayed for the people they would marry. She prayed for her grandchildren. She prayed for our kids and And I think that had a significant effect. Mm. I know God is sovereign, and she wasn't trying to undo God's sovereign will. But she was saying, would you consider within your sovereign will your action for my children and my children's children? I think that echoes what we saw back in Genesis chapter 18, where Abraham interacted with God on the fate of Sodom. Remember that? He said, if God, is it, I, I know you're thinking of destroying Sodom, but what if there are 50 righteous people? Would you just would you would you spare it if there are 50? And God said yes, and 40, and 30. He got God all the way down to 10. God wasn't sacrificing his character; he was still the sovereign Lord of the universe. But he listened to Abraham. They had a relationship that involved a discussion. Look, his parents, God is sovereign. And he will do what he will do. And his way is always right, even if it's not our way. But we have the opportunity to pray. To pray for our children. To ask God to do his work in their life. And we would be foolish not to take advantage of that resource. What would that kind of prayer sound like? Well, it reminds me, when I think of this subject of that old gospel chorus, maybe some of you have heard it. Have thine own way, Lord. Thou art the potter, I am the clay. Mold me and make me after thy will, while I am waiting, yielded and still. I mean, that's a great chorus to sing or pray personally. But what if, what if that was rewritten as a parent's prayer for their children? Well, Vicki, what if we did that? Would you mind uh, giving your version of a parent's prayer based on that chorus?
3: Well, I want there to be a disclaimer that you wrote this. It's not mine, just in case it's bad, but I'd be happy to read it. <laughs> I Vicky, like the idea. Vicky did it's, make some line edits. <laughs> yeah, have thine own way. You are the potter and my children your clay. Mold them and make them as you will. While I am waiting, yielded and still. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Hold over my child's being absolute sway. Please fill them with your spirit until I see Christ only, always living in them and in me.
1: May that chorus be our prayer for our children
0: today. There will always be times when we wonder what our children are doing or wonder what God is doing in our children's lives. And we need to model through our behavior And by praying for our kids, that we know God has a plan for their destiny. I trust that today's discussion of God's word has been helpful and served as an encouragement to not just be hearers of the word, but doers. Together, let's bring God's word to life, to our lives this week. The Crosstalk Podcast is a production of Crosstalk Global, equipping biblical communicators so every culture hears God's voice. To find out more about this educational nonprofit organization, please visit www.CrosstalkGlobal.org. You can also support this podcast by rating it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find it. Be sure to listen next Friday as we continue our discussion of the book of Genesis. You won't want to miss it.